whether it's uh, schools coming up for parents, getting your kids ready for school, uh, that's a time of preparation. Uh, maybe it's uh, time for football season. I mean, you know, it's, it's preseason time, you know? Training camp is in the air. You're getting ready for football season, you know? It's, uh, uh, God forbid, uh, the winter is coming. I, you know, I said to a neighbor that was out, and they said, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just mentally preparing myself that winter is coming. It's, it's there. It, it seems like there's that sense in Wisconsin, like, it's looming. You know, it's still summer, like, but the cold is coming. So is there preparation for that? So how do you prepare? How do you prepare for school to start, for football season to start, to whatever it might be? How do you prepare? Maybe you have a busy schedule in the fall, that busy schedule time. You're a put-the-calendar-together kind of person. I will have the most organized calendar, and I will put it all in my date book or whatever it might be, my phone. The calendar is going to be set. That's your preparation. Maybe you're like, okay, uh, I really want to get into this dress. I want to get into shape. I am going to do that by going to the gym, by an extensive training program. I am going to get on it. I'm going to prepare to get into this dress by doing X or Y. Or maybe it's I've got a new role at work. I have a new task there. I am going to read certain things so I'm ready for it. I'm going to go to certain classes and train for it. I'm going to buy certain clothes so I'm ready for that role or whatever I might be in. We all prepare in ways for seasons of life or what we might be having to go through. But my question for you this morning is, how do you prepare for something like suffering? How do you prepare for trials? And what's different with preparing for suffering and trials, unlike preparing for other things, is we can't always see it on the horizon. Whether it's illness or tragedy, financial issues, rejection in relationships, work issues. We can't always see the suffering and trial that we are going to have to face in the future. And in many times, the timetable looks a lot different than other kind of preparations. Oh, school, it's going to end here. You know, with this, it's going to end here or there. But times with suffering and trials, the timetable is off. You don't always know how long it's going to last. So what do we do? How do we prepare for trials, for suffering? How do we deal with them even in the midst of them? And I'm going to posit this to you this morning. I'm going to give my idea to you first rather than giving it to the end. But this is my idea to you, how we prepare for suffering. Preparing for suffering takes watchfulness. It takes being honest about our weaknesses. And lastly, relying on God's lead. Preparing for suffering takes watchfulness. It takes being honest about our weaknesses and relying on God's lead. I'm not dumb. I know many people, when you give, you know, if you've heard sermons enough, you've heard those three points and everything like that. The guy makes it. And um, I live in Wisconsin, so three points are great, but why don't I make it a Packer three points? How's that sound? Is that okay? So... Um, it's preseason, I could do that. So, Edward Lacey, right? Right? Eddie Lacey? Is it Eddie Lacey? 
Eddie Lacy? So Eddie Lacy, you know, he is starting his first year as running back for the Green Bay Packers. So how is Eddie Lacy going to prepare to be a good running back in the NFL and be ready to be a Green Bay Packer? And I'm going to relate this to the suffering. So a good running back, it takes a good field of vision, meaning watchfulness. It takes... You're going to have losses, and you just got to recover from them. You're going to fumble the football sometimes. You just got to take the next play. You just got to keep going. You have losses, but you're going to keep going. You can't let that get you down. So you're going to have weaknesses. And lastly, um, is you got to lead. You got to follow the lead block. Okay, you got to follow the block. Okay, or you're going to be in trouble. Does that sound good? How's that? Packer references forever. Okay, that's how I put that in that suffering realm. Okay, so again, watchfulness. Field, good, taking good field of vision, weaknesses, fumbles, and lastly, relying on God's lead, letting the lead blocker take it, okay? So Eddie Lacy is going to be ready for the season. Sound good? And so are we for suffering. Well, let's look to the scripture this morning and see how it answers this question for us. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 52. It's in your worship guide. If you want a Bible, there's Bibles back there and you can have them. Let's pay attention as we read God's word. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he um, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what um, what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking um, your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will, um, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out um, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, 
But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And we pray that it would uh, not return void, that we would be changed and transformed. It would prepare us for what is inevitable in this life, suffering and trials. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Again, if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of Mark. And uh, here we get to uh, a section that is uh, kind of before what we call uh, the passion, uh, the actual trial of Jesus and his suffering. Uh, but it is suffering in itself. Um, we see that Jesus has been led to a place called Gethsemane, uh, which uh, in Hebrew means oil press. It's in the Kidron Valley. It's a really pretty area under the Mount of Olives. It's quiet. Probably had olive trees and all those kind of things. And um, it was a place uh, where Jesus could pray and prepare for what was going to happen. I really like uh, being able to do the scripture before my community group because my community group gives me some good ideas and thoughts. And uh, my wife had a, a good thought on, on trials and preparing for trials. Um, she said sometimes uh, per- the preparation and before the suffering is sometimes even harder than the suffering itself. The anxiety, the worry about what is going to happen is even tougher. And we see here there is a great anxiety on Jesus. And that very idea of oil press is very fitting, Gethsemane. That Jesus is being pressed here. He's being crushed mentally, just spiritually. He is going through some major things. This anticipation of what he's going to have to do. Well, you see here what happens. How does Jesus prepare for this? What does he do to be ready for what is about to happen to him? Well, one thing he does is he takes his trusted guys, Peter, James, and John. These are three guys that make sense to bring them, you know, because uh, James and John uh, said they'll sit on his right and left uh, in heaven. And James and John also said that we'll take the cup of suffering ourselves. We can do it. And Peter's the one that says, I'll even die for you. And he's emphatic about it. Um, so, you know, Jesus brings guys that say they're going to do it. You know, they'll be with him no matter what. So I could easily make principle number one of how to prepare for suffering. Bring people that are loyal. And they will help you out in preparing for suffering. But that is not the principle here in this passage. Because we see these guys, how do they do in helping Jesus prepare for suffering? Not good. I don't think Jesus brought them with him to help prepare for suffering for him, but he brought them so that they could prepare for suffering themselves. So that they would be ready for what was about to happen. You see that in how Jesus comes back to them and says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is verse 38. And he says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here's kind of a humor of reversal here. Do you remember what happened earlier when there was a storm in the boat? What was Jesus doing at that time? He was sleeping. And what were the disciples doing at that time? Rushing around, going crazy and everything like that. He's saying, you don't understand, do you? That this time is a real preparation for something bad that's about to happen. 
Be watchful for it. It's going to come at an angle that you don't see. You think everything is going right. I've arrived at Jerusalem. Um, I'm doing crazy things in the temple. People are saying I'm the king. All this kind of stuff. We've had a good meal together. You know, this is Passover week. Nothing crazy is going to happen. But then, something crazy does happen. One of the disciples betrays Jesus himself, Judas. And he's arrested at night. And all these things, they, they could not see what was about to happen. And that's why Jesus said, be watchful. Be prepared for what is about to happen. You, don't, you just don't know what angle it's going to come from. You know, preparation in our society, one area where we like to prepare for things is um, uh, preparing for um, having a baby. Okay, that is the, uh, we know it's going to happen. There is suffering there, all those kind of things. So we as a society do as best as we can uh, to prepare for the baby coming. Lamaze classes, videos, you know, um, whatever it might be, breathing techniques. There is so much out there to prepare for the actual labor. Okay, the suffering that happens. So I, of course, with my second daughter, after, you know, my trial run, my first one, I was going to be ready to be the perfect preparer for uh, Aaron to have Morgan. So I made, um, you know, a mixtape with Enya music, which I hate. So I had Enya on there and, you know, all those things. And I had, you know, you know, nice smelling things and all that. Cause I was ready. You know, my, my, my breathing techniques, I was, I was, I was going to be a perfect coach. I had food that I brought with me. I was ready. So, you know, labor is happening for, you know, quite a few hours. And, you know, it's like four or five hours in and whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, it was like, okay, epidural time. Like, okay, great, epidural, let's go for it. And they come in with the shot, which is like a needle, like, you know, it's pretty long. I'm sorry, I'm scaring people. Um, it's long. Um, and, you know, Aaron's holding on to me and everything like that. And, of course, I made the mistake of watching the needle go in. And so I am, I'm like, I'm oozy at this point in time. And I'm about to, like, I'm about to, like, fall down and pass out. And the doctor sees this and the nurses see it. The husband's about to, to lose it. He's about to pass out. So now all the attention has been moved from my wife, who's having a baby in labor pains, to me, about to pass out, that's gone on the couch. Now everyone's around me. Oh, do you need some drink or anything? I'm just like, oh man, I'm a tool, you know. But the point is this: that we have to be watchful for where suffering is coming from. We don't know where it's going to come from. We don't know what angles. We can be prepared as possible. Be ready for anything. But with suffering, we don't know. And if the truth is. If you have a mentality that says, I'm going to be prepared for what happens, you are not understanding what suffering is about. The very essence of suffering is this, that we're not ready. That we can't handle it. That it's painful. That it's hard. That no matter how much we are ready or think we can do it, we can't. So if we say we are prepared for it, I'm good. I got everything in line, just like these disciples said. I'm good, Jesus. We got our swords here. If something does happen, we're going we're gonna to do something. But Jesus says, no, you do not understand. You are trying to avoid suffering rather than being watchful for what will happen. Watchfulness says suffering, um, it's, it's going to happen. 
Washer says, I'm not ready. Washerwoman says, I need you, Lord, to prepare me for whatever might happen. It's a constant state of prayer. It's a constant state of God. Who knows what will happen in my life? But I want to be ready when it comes that you will be there for me. Moving on. You know, this attitude can make us realize that when it does come, no matter how washer we are, it's going to be painful. This attitude of washfulness makes us realize that when suffering does come, when trials do come, it is going to be painful. You see this in the comparison between Jesus and the disciples in this passage. You see how Jesus just deals with what is about to happen his way. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And it goes on, he said, I'll all these things, remove this cup from me. You know, he is, he's in this state that he knows that this is going to be hard. He says to John and, and to Peter, he says, he became greatly distressed and troubled. This very word, distressed, it means a great weight in the Greek. A very great weight was upon Jesus. And we see Jesus' vulnerability in that place. You know, it is, you know, maybe we're very familiar with um, Jesus calling God Abba, but that is a crazy language to call God the Father back then. It's calling God Daddy. Daddy, you know, just kind of a, a kid's word to call their dad. Daddy, I need you. And to call God the Father in that way, in that kind of vulnerable place, is very different than any of the disciples or than people at that time were used to. And this is the kind of vulnerability that Jesus is calling to his Father. And he says, very pointedly, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He doesn't mean the Holy Spirit here. He means the soul or the will. The that strength and ability, I can do it, I can make it happen, all that's in me. It might be willing, but the spirit, still, the flesh is still weak. It can be painful. It can be hard. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be weak in those times. But here's the thing. The disciples, in comparison contrast, they say, I am able. I can do this. My will will be able to conquer it. We'll be able to overcome it. And I will be able to, if it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard, I can overcome it with a sword, the disciples say. But Jesus says, no, you do not get it, do you? Even in those times, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. You know, I think many times we act like disciples. When there is something that we want to push through, get done, we are going to do it through our will. We are going to make it happen. I'm going to have a good marriage. I'm going to work so hard at this. I am going to do all these things by my will. We're going to get through this. I'm going to be successful at work. I'm just going to power through. I'm going to do all these things within me. I'm just going to make it work. Whatever might come my way, I'm going to do it. My finances, I am finally going to get to the envelope system. I'm going to do all these, these things. I'm going to power through. And it's going to be just fine. But when it hits the fan, 
even when your desires might be strong, you realize it is painful and it is hard. And the truth is our strategies are not really preparing for suffering, but they're preparing for avoidance. Example, I'm going to deal with my marriage and the problems of my marriage by maybe if I sprinkle out a few date nights, I can be able to avoid the elephant in the room and the conflict that we're having. You know, maybe if I just put my finances on the back burner and put it on a credit card, I can avoid the pain that really comes with what is in my bank account. Maybe if I just avoid my boss at work or bring in donuts or whatever it might be, I can avoid the pain that will really happen if I have to finally confront him on how bad our relationship really is. Our preparing for suffering is not preparing for suffering. It's instead preparing for avoidance. Preparation is not to reduce the amount of pain. That is not the goal in preparing for suffering. It's going to be painful. It was even painful for Jesus. This is what it's going to be like for us. And when we finally take it on and say, okay, it is going to be painful... It is going to be hard. I'm going to have to be vulnerable in this place. We can finally embrace the suffering rather than trying to avoid the pain. I get my one football, I get my one sports analogies a month. That's what I get. Okay, so it's my once a month time. It's Packer season. You just got to bear with me. Um, Packer analogies, okay? So, okay, Brett Favre analogy, even worse, okay, right? Brett Favre. Yeah, I know. Trouble. You know, we all have positive and negative for Brett Favre. But one thing we can say about Brett Favre is 200 games plus, right, in a row. Okay? Talk about pain and preparing for suffering. 200 games plus is ridiculous. And if you know Brett Favre, you know some of the ways that he dealt with his pain was um, drug abuse. And uh, he finally confessed to that and uh, dealt with some of those things. And another painful thing happened in his life in playing is that before um, one of a Monday night game at Oakland, his father died. And uh, there's a lot of press about what happened to Brett in those times, that painful experience, and some of the players were around him. There was one story about one player that came and prayed with him uh, before the game. And, you know, this came out much later, but you know Brett Favre. He's the tear guy, right? You know, the crier. But he just lost it before the game when this player prayed for him. He just lost it. The pain of his father dying was so much. He just, he just lost it in front of his team. And a reporter was um, following Brett and going through some these own experiences himself. And this is what the reporter wrote about this experience to Brett and what he was going through. And his, uh, Brett's father's name was Irv. When Big Irv died and Brett came out and played the game of his life on that Monday night in Oakland with his teammates and his fans and a nation of mourners, I watched that game with my own father. He was sick then, and I knew what he was thinking. He saw himself as Irv, Brett's father, and he saw me as Brett. We tried to talk a little bit about it, but words uh, about such things don't come easy. So we just cried, and we understood. It was the closest we ever came to talking about how I would be after um, he'd gone, except for the time um, 
Without explanation or further discussion, he looked me in the eyes and said, you take care of your mother's son. We sat upstairs and we cheered. Then the game ended. Favre said a few words and that was that. I forgot about it. Only when my father died about nine months later, I thought of that game. For days I was in a fog. I had conversations that I still cannot remember having. I spoke and I smiled and I did my best thinking from time to time about Favre and what he must have felt running uh, out of that tunnel on that night. And when I went back to work a few weeks later, flying into Miami to write a story, I again thought of Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre, my inspiration. That SO, believe it that, could play a football game about after losing his dad. I could write a simple story. Take that, I mean, just a Brett Favre story, right? Take that to the greatest degree of Jesus himself going through pain and suffering. God himself going through that. If God faced suffering and pain with vulnerability and suffering and, all, and that weight and that distress on him, how much more can we know that when we go through suffering and pain, we can let that pain be there? We can say, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. I do not know, just need to avoid this. I can actually be in it. You know, um, <laughs> that's all well and good. Uh, but the truth is, when it comes to suffering and pain, there is an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this. If God is really good, if God is really powerful, why do I have to go through suffering at all? Why does it have to be around? Why does there have to be suffering in the world or pain that people have to go through? Why, if God is good and powerful, would I even have to go through such a thing? That is a really tough question. And uh, we talked about theology on tap on Thursday, and I'm not going to be able to give that whole synopsis of what we talked about. And I think it's a tough question for Christians to answer. But I want to give a philosophical answer first. But I know this is also experiential, and also um, it comes with own personal pain. But let me give a philosophical reason first. Why? Do we have to go through suffering? Why is there suffering in the world? Suffering is for a purpose. It leads to a greater reality. It leads to the best possible world or the best possible scenario. We have to go through suffering now so that we can one day be in a place like heaven where we can know what heaven is truly like. That we go through pain now to know the glory of who God is. For heaven to be what it is, we need to go through what we go through now. Now, I have, I've had friends, I've given this argument to them, and um, they push back quite a bit, right? Really? A greater reality? A greater purpose? you telling me that that tsunami that wiped through Indonesia and killed hundreds of thousands of people, that was for a greater purpose and a greater reality? I just see senseless tragedy. I just see no purpose in it at all. And my friends get very passionate and angry about this. And, you know, maybe you do too. I mean, maybe you are in that place that you would say that. 
I love Alvin Plantiga, his, his answer to this, about of someone that comes passionately against you, about how God could allow such things to happen. Please hear me. This is a, it's a heady concept, but I want you to please bear with me here. If you believe this person, your friend, people that push against me, yourself, if you believe in a God great enough to be angry, but you to be angry at him for not preventing evil and suffering, if you believe in a God to be angry enough at him for preventing, uh, for not preventing that to happen, must we also have a God great enough to have a reason for allowing evil and suffering that we cannot discern? If you're angry enough at a God for doing such a thing, can he be big enough too to believe that his purposes and reasons behind it you might not be able to discern? That would be my thing back at you. Now, that's philosophical, but let me get experiential. And I think it's down to this word right here, and I'll just land the plane. Here it is. Jesus says, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And this word troubled is paralupos in the Greek. And it's um, a Greek understanding of paralupos is this, is it's, it's suffering and distress. And it is, um, in the Greek understanding, it is something to help us understand um, the good. We all go through suffering. We all go through pain so we can better understand um, the good. But Jesus gives this word a different meaning. And I think his suffering gives us a different idea. Now, you've got to understand, in Greek culture, if a hero died, he didn't die with whimpering. That wasn't a hero. He didn't die with whimpering and distress and crying out, Abba, Daddy. He didn't do that. A hero like Socrates or whatever it might be, he died with peace. And just, I'm okay. That was a true hero in Greek society. But that is not the picture we have of Jesus. Instead, we see that he takes on distress himself. Jesus is saying, this suffering, this pain that I am facing is not the way it's supposed to be. We are not supposed to have this kind of suffering. We are not supposed to have this kind of pain. The human body is not supposed to do this. I hear this. I hear this all the time. I hear it from Christians a lot. I've said it at times. What doesn't kill you just makes you stronger. With joy comes suffering. You know, you might say that to someone. You know, there's a purpose in all this. There's a purpose behind this. Okay, sorry, I'm going to get a little upset and angry. When I am going through suffering and pain, when I am going through that, I don't want to hear that. Okay? I don't want to hear that there's a purpose and a plan. I don't want to hear... It might be true, sure. All those things. It might be true, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to have to go through this. This is difficult. This is hard. I don't want to deal with this. And you know what Jesus says to that? I understand. I don't want to go through this either. God, I don't want to have to take this cup. I don't want to have to take this suffering. I don't want to have to do this. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Please hear me. Christianity is the only religion, the only religion with a God who suffers. It's the only religion where God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he's willing to get involved with it himself. 
that he is willing to dive into it itself and take it on himself. Jesus knew that the suffering would be great. Jesus prepared for trials by trusting that God had a plan for this. In fact, it is that plan that gives us hope in the midst of preparing for trials. Despite the suffering we might have to face and all the things that we do, Jesus endured it. He endured our final consequences. He endured our, what we deserve upon himself. He took the ultimate suffering. And why did Jesus, unlike the Greeks, have all that peace and been fine? Because he was about to face separation from his father. He was about to go into the depths of places that if we trust in him, we will never know. How God the Father could be separated from the Son, I don't understand that. But i got to say, that must have been painful and hard. So how do we prepare for suffering? We prepare for suffering by knowing that Jesus did not just give us a way around it, but he gave us a way through it. He leads the way. He took suffering on himself so that when we have suffering ourselves, we know that our God took the ultimate pain upon himself. Many commentators and money historians believe this last passage, I'm going to read it again, verse 51 and verse 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Many people believe this is Mark inserting himself, the author of this book, who was a young man at that time. Here is Mark running naked away from Jesus. Why insert such a thing? Why be so disparaging about this young person who's supposed to be strong and vibrant and be able to do it? Because it is a message to us. If we had to face the suffering and pain of Jesus by ourselves, we couldn't. What would we do? All our will and all our strength, we would run away with shame and nakedness. There is only one that was able to go to a place that we can't, and that is Jesus himself. That even young men, even people that are strong and vigilant and have so much power and will, even they cannot go there. Only Jesus was able to go there himself. I don't know your suffering. I don't know your pain. I don't know what you're going through in life. And I... I can't really give great comfort through philosophical messages. But I can tell you this. We have a God who identifies with you. We have a God that actually took the greatest pain upon himself for you. That is good news. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. Suffering is hard. It is painful. And you know what? We're all going to go through it. Every single one of us. And just know this, we have a God that went through it himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you went into that garden and you asked for it to be taken away. But you knew you had to take it and you took it anyway. Thank you. Thank you for taking that anxiety, that pain, that suffering upon yourself for us. And God, I pray that when we go through suffering and pain that we would rely on you and your strength rather than our own. 
and that you would just see it. We'd see maybe glimmers of what you're doing in our lives. But more than that, we would see the cross and the way that there was a purpose through that. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Adrian's going to sing a song. The whole team's going to sing a song here. Um, and we're just going to listen. And I want this to be a prayer. John Barrage, uh, he went through a lot of trials in his life. A uh, single man. Uh, wrestled with many demons. But he was a hymnist. And he wrote this hymn. And, uh, and it's very fitting that we have storms and things. And I'll just let this song speak for itself. But I just pray that if you are going through something or you know someone that's going through, that this would just be something for you to just find comfort and peace. Let's go, Lord. Stand together and sing Begone Unbelief.
to know that which is worth knowing, to love that which is worth loving, to praise that which please you most, to see in that which is most precious unto you, and to dislike whatever whatsoever is evil in your eyes. Grant us true judgment to distinguish things that differ, and above all, to search out and do what is well, pleasing to you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Go in peace.